Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feasy. Well, unfortunately, I have to follow that. So, <laughs> absolutely fantastic, brilliant. Um, so, I've done a series now on the subject of home. That's what I've been talking about for the last four weeks. And on your long journey back to uh, Kansas, if you want to catch up on the other ones, they're on the, you can download the podcast from iTunes or anybody else. And you'll find the Aspen Chapel bit, and you'll find the, the other four that go with this if you're in the least bit interested. Um, but in the past, what we've looked at uh, is the fact your home can be many things. It can be, your home could be your house. It can be your parents' house. Your home can be your family, your community, your country. Your home's obviously your planet. Your home can even be the universe. Um, but the door to all concepts of home, they always say that home is where the heart is. All concepts of home is the heart. And in identifying with God or the true nature or whatever it is, we have access to that concept of home being in our heart by going inwards, by entering our home through the door of our heart by, enter, uh, by identifying with that greater I am rather than the smaller I am that goes on in our heads all the time, we then find ourselves at home in all places. So we started off with that, and then we used Thich Nhat Hanh, I don't know if you know, died recently, and he had this lovely idea that home is the present moment. So... We come into the present moment. And Thich Nhat Hanh says that, your, that home is the present moment. We looked at the idea that the present moment also is actually a control panel to life. The present moment is your control panel to life. It is the meeting room between you and all of consciousness. That you're not separated from the greater universe, but you're a un unique part of it. And that meeting room between you and consciousness this place, the present moment, is the place where you communicate to the universe and the universe communicates to you. In fact, if you look at it carefully, you're not in the present moment. You are the present moment. Your thoughts, your feelings, your imagination, your emotions, your inspiration, your wisdom, what you see, what you hear, what you feel, all around you and all consciousness expressed by everything that's animate and inanimate. You are the present moment. It is, the present moment is your enlightenment. It's your beingness to be as it takes you. You are the present moment. And then last week, we looked at the idea that if you open yourselves to being in the present moment and see that you are, in fact, within a friendly universe, your role is to respond to whatever comes our way with love. Whatever comes your way in life, your role in life is to respond with love. And then, you know, you use your 360-degree awareness and the awareness that's all around us and all that's in us and all consciousness to return whatever comes your way with love. And the tools you use to return things with love are compassion and empathy. Compassion and empathy are the things that we use in order to, to love the world. But you know, when I look out into the world now, you know, I don't actually, you know, see it is a particularly loving place at the moment. 
Having said that, I think we have come a long way in the way that the world has evolved. Um, in uh, the, the evolutionary psychologist Steven Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, he finds evidence in declining rates of violent deaths per 100,000 of the population. He sees that this comes from the elimination of customs such as, and we're talking about you know, 10,000 years here, human sacrifice, the reduction of targeted violence such as lynching, pogroms, spousal abuse. These changes arose from a rise of modern states, commerce, greater gender equality, cosmopolitanism, and reason, despite obvious setbacks of wars that do occur in short term. And, you know, we can see as well improvements in terms of the increasing sensitivity with the rising global consciousness. The gradual abolition of slavery, the recognition of patriarchy, the development of human rights are all signs that consciousness is evolving in a more loving way. However, you only have to look at our home, this planet, and see the evidence of schisms that are still in place. You've got the rise of global organized crime, the polarization of views in politics, in culture, and religion. You've got the rise of dictatorships, the relativization of truth, and states and rulers around the world blatantly lying and behaving in a way that just wouldn't be tolerated by an, you know, in an individual human being. They seem to be able to get away with stuff that we wouldn't as human beings be able to get away with. And you have the hardening of national boundaries leading to threats of war, which is where we are at the moment. We have an increasing disparity of wealth leading to grinding poverty and a refugee crisis all around the world. We have inequality in healthcare. We have indifference to the effects of climate change and the impending global emergency. And the insistence on me and mine being the defining attitude towards local, regional, and national priorities. Do you know, the planet is a home for all of us. And there seems to be something wrong when our home is in such chaos. And to me, the reason that so much of the world is acting up in this way is they're acting out of a misapprehension that they have to fight to get what they want in order to survive. That's the misapprehension. You have to fight to get what you want in order to survive. In his farewell address, President Eisenhower said, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. This is Eisenhower in the 50s. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or our democratic process. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense 
with our peaceful models and goals so that security and liberty might prosper together. That warning to the world has largely gone unheeded and has led to a place where defence budgets are also vital in shoring up the economies of the world. You know, we create arms not just to fight, but we create arms so that we can eat, so that all the money that comes from arms enables all the workers and people to eat and our economies buoyed up. All of which comes from the misapprehension, this comes from the misapprehension that there is not enough in the world. So, you know, according to the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, the world produces more than one and a half times enough food to feed everybody on the planet. That's already enough to feed 10 billion people, which is the world's projected population peak of 2050. We're producing enough food. So why do we do it? Why do you think we all end up fighting to survive? Well, I think it comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of reality. It comes from a misunderstanding of the nature of reality. Although not by stood by, misunderstood by everyone, the majority of the world believes that as individuals, as communities, and as nations, we are separate from one another. The majority of the world believes that we're separate. And this is a perspective that is created by our minds, by our rational minds. In all of humanity, the rational mind has built into its DNA, our minds have in, our in their DNA a survival response that makes the individual believe that it is separate from surroundings and therefore must compete with its surroundings in order to survive. The individual human being is therefore programmed to compete on an individual level, on the level of family and friends. I want me and mine to have the best. That's what they think. On the basis of race and ethnicity, on the level of local community and on the level of nation states. We identify in all those cases with me and mine in order to band together against all others. We even include the planet in that. The planet is seen as something that we can get things from. We are separate from it, and therefore me and mine are more important than the planet. This idea of separateness, however, I think is wrong on every single level. It's not just seeing things in, in a misplaced way, it's wrong. Now, the word wrong, interesting enough, comes from the Norse world, rang, which means awry and unjust. So I'm saying that this idea of separateness is awry and unjust. It is wrong on the level of the individual because individuals are not separate from each other. They all come from the same primal consciousness that's been nurturing life since the Big Bang. When you're born, you inherit a share of that consciousness. It was there before you were born, and you emerge at birth into that consciousness with your part of it. Yes, you have a rational mind that interprets that consciousness, but that is all it does. 
It develops ideas and opinions about that consciousness. And one of the ideas it develops for survival is that it's separate. It's not. I look out from, I look out in myself from the same consciousness that you look out from. We're looking out from different perspectives. That's what the whole history of spirituality teaches us, that all consciousness is one. And that all that's material emerges from that consciousness. Consciousness is the driver of the evolution and creation that happens in the world. But, you know, I'm not here to argue about that. It's really, it's been the basis of the reality that this chapel has been exploring for the last 50 years. And, and many spiritual traditions have that. But as a reality, it makes the concept of separateness wrong, awry and unjust. And this leads to the way that we behave to others. You know, there was a guru that was once asked, how should we look after others? To which the guru replied, there are no others. Once you embrace the concept that you're not separate from others, then the growth and well-being of others becomes your own growth and well-being. It's no longer about me and mine, it becomes about us and ours. And the place where we act out this reality is the present moment. It's our home. We're given it to pour love into the world and behaving in any other way is awry and unjust. So me and mine has no place in this loving home of the present moment. And knowing this, we can see how all politicians are actually making decisions from this false perspective of separateness. The whole idea of separate nations is actually built on a false perspective. Fighting for me and mine against so-called others, it's not just a bad idea, it's awry and unjust. But, you know, let's take this out of the metaphysical realm. We all also know that, we know that all of us are completely interdependent of each other. Interdependent of e with each other. Like a tree that's interdependent with its surroundings. Here's a bit from Sogol Rinpoche's book, The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. He says, nothing has any inherent existence of its own when you really look at it. Think of a tree. When you think of a tree, you tend to think of a distinctly defined object, and on a certain level, it is. But when you look more closely at the tree, you will see that ultimately, it has no independent existence. When you contemplate it, you will find it also dissolves into an extremely subtle net of relationships that stretches right across the universe. The rain that falls on its leaves, the wind that sways it, the soil that nourishes and sustains it, all the seasons and weather and moonlight and starlight and sunlight, they all form part of the tree. And as you begin to think about the tree more and more, you will discover that everything in the universe helps to make the tree what it is that it cannot at any moment be isolated from anything else, and that at every moment its nature is subtly changing. That's what it's meant when we say things have no independent existence. And as with the tree, so we are all interdependent on each other. 
dependent also on plants and animals, on the weather, on nature. We're dependent on the planet. And to say differently is awry and unjust. It is wrong. China's problems are our problems. And our problems are China's problems. And if you disagree with that, just look at the pandemic. For countries to be worrying about territorial claims, security, economic prosperity, pride, and empire is, again, awry and unjust. It is wrong. And the leaders of those countries are wrong because their rationale is wrong. They are fundamentally interdependent with everyone and everything else, and that does include the planet. When we start thinking this way, then we'll be able to solve the problems of the world. I'm on the last page, so don't panic. I'm just about to finish. <laughs> While we start thinking of our own survival, we will not be able to solve the problems of the world. And how does that relate to you and me? Well, do you know, we don't choose the times that we live in. We only choose how we can respond. We don't choose the times we live in. We were born into this time. What we can choose is how we respond. And we live in times that do demand us to respond, if nothing else, but for the spiritual well-being of our people. And we're talking about everybody. We respond for the spiritual well-being of our people. We have to be responsible for the spiritual well-being of our people, and that includes all people being fundamentally harmed by wrong-headedness, by the spiritual immaturity that sees separateness where it should be seeing interdependence, that sees threat where it should be seeing an opportunity to serve, where the individual wants to lay blame for pain rather than take his or her pain and transform it with love. You know, this planet is our home. Until we take responsibility for the spiritual education of our people, to be responsible for the spiritual well-being of the people in the times that we live in, then change will continue to be gradual and painful. Those of us who've had an insight into this nature of reality, need to base our actions on that insight and not on the general agreement that keeps things the way it is. That's why we exist as a community, to bring that insight to others and to stop the mess that the world's got itself into over the preceding thousands of years of ignorance. We are all a part of the evolution of consciousness. Our role is to bring some sanity, from the Latin word sanus, which means health, to bring health to the unhealthy thinking that drives world leaders and those who support them. Only then will we be able to experience our planet as the loving home that it is. And I'm just going to finish with a quote from the Dalai Lama. He says, consider yourself a tourist. Think of the world as it's seen from space, so small and insignificant, yet so beautiful. Could there really be anything to be gained from harming others during our stay here?
Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.